Good morning, good morning, good morning. Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners is on the air. Margaret Tharp and David Lendon of Landscape Alaska, and we are ready to answer questions, have conversations, receive invitations, be notified of spectacular things to go and visit, all that stuff. Gardening, horticulture, landscaping questions. Talk about your favorite lawn. Talk about the new bushes in your garden that are starting to bloom. It's a call-in show, 586-1800 gets us on the air. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you for coming with me. You betcha, Dave. Absolutely. Okay, coming up on Mother's Day. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The traditional start of gardening season in Southeast Alaska. Yeah. And and gardens, boy, gardens have played such a big part in all our lives. You know, my grandfather's garden was two city blocks. And he invited anybody who was hungry to stop and... No, no, no. He picked every day. That's what I mean. Gave it away. And set it out for people to have. Uh, Because during the Depression, people would get shot for stealing food. And my mother which was his, the second of 10 children, was the only one he allowed to help, help him. And of course, she always rolled her eyes when she spoke of it because it was like, you know, there were nine other people. How come some of them could have helped? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure it's because she was more meticulous. I bet it was. My mother had an organic you-pick garden, organic you-pick farm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it was all organic, too, my yep. grandfather's. I'm sure it was, too. I spoke to my mother yesterday. She's 92 or 93 years old. She didn't really remember how nice it was until I started describing how it was walking around in the garden there. And after a while, yes, she chimed right in, and she was back there as if she were back in her own yard tending to her vegetables and her oh, I bet she bushes. wishes she was. Oh, I'm sure she does. Instead of being in lockdown in California, no, holy moly. Right. She talks about how horrible it is being locked down like that and how much she wishes she was back in back in the country, back in the farm. Right. Well, she lived on a farm all her life. Yeah. I mean, and a now, farm slash ranch, you know, she always... Now she says the only livestock she gets to deal with are the squirrels. Right. She, <laughs> she lets them into the building. Uh, yeah, I can just imagine what that's like. But anyway, yes. happy Mother's Day to all all the women out there who are mothers and aunties and helpmates in the world. And happy Mother's Day to everybody. You know, the celebration is universal. We're all, yes, we're celebrating our mothers, but we get to celebrate having our mothers too. Right, you know, exactly. It's, it's a, 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 a win-win situation. And I think about the the influence on my life, man. Oh, good morning, conversations. Are you there? Yes. Okay. And happy Mother's Day to your lovely wife. Oh, thank you so much. You bet. Um, I was wondering, is May too late to prune rhododendrons? No. Um, you can do, do I it. have to wait till October or something? You no. can do it anytime you want. <gasps> really? Yeah, anytime oh, you good. want. Oh, great. I mean, Thanks. if you don't care about losing the, the whatever flower there is now, if you're mm-hmm. more interested in taking care of your shrubbery, which right. is where I would be, you know. If yes. you, and now's the time you have the time to do it. Because what happens in the rhododendron life cycle is after they flower is the mm-hmm. time they make their new growth. So if you prune them back now, by the time flowering season would come, which would be June, early July here, then mm-hmm. the buds that are below wherever you cut it are going to be more active and more likely to sprout out again. Oh, okay. And rhododendron has dormant growth buds everywhere. So you can cut down below the leaves into the bare stems and force new growth that way. 
I, I pruned a lot of rhododendrons uh, that suffered winter damage this year, just this last yeah. week, and yeah. cut off all the dead on it and cut them way back. And, you know, you get back in there, and, and it's even though it's woody, it's green. So they're ready. And you get oh. rid of the dead tops, then they're able to come forth again. They're really resilient plants. And oh, we've true. never seen as much damage done as yeah. this spring. Right. No matter what, if you look, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But but okay. thanks, you can do you can prune them anytime you want and anywhere you want. <laughs> Thank you very much. You bet. bet. Bye. But and, think of a rhododendron as a big hog, you know, like a six hundred and fifty pound hog tied up at your garden gate, saying, "Feed me." They like to be fed, and they want to be fed regularly, and they want to be fed a lot. And and you want to water them before you feed them. That's absolutely true. And you know, with most shrubs and trees, the feeding zone is out at the outer extent of the leaves and beyond it. And they have root systems that are big roots coming off the trunk, going to smaller roots, going to smaller roots, going to little tiny roots, going to hair roots. And it's called the drip line out there. And out there at the edge of it, the the hair roots are the part that actually does, does the absorbing. And the bigger roots are just pipes carrying it in. But rhododendrons are not like that. The, the roots for rhododendrons are like spider whip. They come right off the trunk, and it's a mat of roots. And the roots are only, you know, a few inches, maybe at the most six inches deep in the ground. So it's all that fibrous mat underneath the leaves, and they're all ready to absorb fertilizer. So when you fertilize a rhododendron, not right up against the trunk, but starting about a foot away from the trunk, and all over underneath the plant, you fertilize it, and you do it. And the reason you need to water it is because most rhododendrons act like an umbrella and the ground is dry under there. So you want to make sure it gets well watered in the spring coming out of winter and then you can fertilize it because the ground is moist and you want to keep it moist. You don't have to keep it wet, but you want to keep it moist so it doesn't burn when you do feed it. And part of the thing about rhododendron too is that there are all these fungus diseases and they overwinter in the fallen leaves. So in the autumn, you make sure that you're scrupulously careful about your rhododendron. You rake up all the fallen leaves and get rid of them. Don't put them in your compost pile. Either put them in the garbage and send them to the landfill or burn them up. But make sure that all that litter and debris gets cleaned up and put another layer of mulch of some kind. Compost, chicken manure, and, and bark, something like that. Because the rhododendrons like that layer of organic matter and their roots grow right out into it. And this year... Fungus really hit some of the older rhododendrons. I mean, they're really damaged. And to take care of them is going to take a lot of patience. I would think most people will just cut them down because really it means pick off every infected leaf, clean up everything on the ground, cut back dead things, water it, feed it, and wait for it to sprout again because the leaves are just totally infected with Rust. Rust. Uh-huh. Rust and other kinds of uh, fungus diseases. And some rhododendrons get it and some rhododendrons don't. But those great big cast iron hybrids, they look like they got it the worst this year. And the plants that looked wonderful last autumn, by the time winter passed and they came out this spring, even plants that have looked wonderful for 30 years, many of them are, are, are really, really damaged this spring. Yeah, riddled, riddled with rust. Uh-huh. And a lot of that has to do with the weather last summer when the young growth was coming out. But, you know, no matter what, it's not, it's not your fault. 
I had to say that to the gardeners. People come in and they're apologizing for having rhododendrons that look so damaged. It's not your fault. There's nothing you could do about it. It came. But you can really tell when you look around your yard, there are some kinds that get it and some kinds don't. Right. The dwarf ones tend not to get rust. The dwarf ones called Yakusamena seem really resistant to it. And Ramapo. And Ramapo, and too. The, and the dwarf uh, PJM. Yep. They don't seem to get it, but the really big cast iron, isn't that what they're called, cast that iron? That whole class of them, like like the Rosea Melegans. Yes. Uh-huh. All of those. They're the ones that seem to get it. And the rust is a element of the Sitka spruce, right? Yeah, here's how it works. There's a, there's a fungus, a, a rust fungus, that spends one generation on the rhododendron leaf and the other generation on the Sitka spruce. And they go back and forth. They have to have both of them in order to have a successful life cycle. And in the springtime, when the rhododendron has finished flowering and it starts to expand its young growth, they don't have the waxy cover on the outside of the leaves or stems yet. That's yet to come and yet to develop during the summertime. With maturity. That's right. So while they're, they're soft and vulnerable like that, and the cool, moist, rainy weather is there, and the spores are popping off on the Sitka spruce and filling the air, they're vulnerable. If well, you, boy, they got it last year. Boy, I'll they did. And last year was the perfect weather storm. Well, last year it rained so incredible. It was just, I was trying to put in lawns. The seed just floated away, yep. you know. You couldn't keep it, even with remay or landscape fabric on top of it, or no matter what I did, it just, the wind blew and the rain hit so hard and heavy all month long. Not only that, there was even times when the soil was running down the hillside. Right. It rained so hard, the soil was washing it's away. It's just a nightmare. It w- truly was. Well, maybe it won't be like that this year. Well, I do see in some of my lawns that little baby seeds are now finally starting to germinate. Like they were beaten into the ground, and now they're coming to life. But it'll, they'll all need to be overseeded. Yeah. No matter what. And remember, if you're going to overseed your lawn, if you need to add more seed to your lawn, the grass seed has to actually be in contact with the dirt. You can't just put grass seed on top of the lawn and you know say everything's going to be fine. It actually has to get. <laughs> well, you can say that, but sure, that doesn't mean it's going to work. <laughs> but if, what that means is, before you overseed your lawn, you vigorously rake it or run a thatcher on it or something to get all the dead grass off the surface, so the grass seeds themselves can get in contact with the dirt. Five eight six one eight hundred. If you got any questions about this, call us up on the air, or you can always come and talk to us at the nursery on the weekends. Landscape Alaska is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Until we have more labor that can help us do it, this is the only time we can manage it. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Landscape Alaska is located on the Back Loop Road. It's up a private driveway between Goat Hill Road and Spring Way. And you'll see a sign at the bottom of the drive. It's a little tiny sign, but that's, that's the biggest legal sign we can have. And there's a, an open and closed sign there, too. So if you see that sign open, come on up, and we're glad to see you. It looks really pretty. And other than that, call me up. I'm, I'm available. I can meet you sometimes, but, you know, we have to make sure that we can, can sync together. Right. And my phone number is 321-4149. And, and I'm f- out working, so I'm rarely around. Right. And speaking of that, we're looking for landscape labor to work on our landscape crews. If you know someone that wants to do that kind of stuff, have them get in touch with us. So let's talk about the new roses that we have we have some really pretty ones i want one of each Uh uh-huh 
So we always look for roses that are going to be hardy enough to live in southeast Alaska. And one of the places we look is further north. Well, you know, and the thing is, is a lot of times people think it's the cold that kills things. But it's really my belief, although cold can kill things, don't misunderstand me. I think that things can be hardy enough. It's just how wet it gets. I think the wet here is a much bigger threat just because of rust and because of fungus and because of all the diseases that spread around, that if they're not hardy enough to resist that, uh, they shrivel up and die. And one of the things that we've seen, we deal a lot with Canadian companies because they're bringing material in from Europe. And there, they made a conscious decision about 30 years ago to begin focusing on breeding for disease resistance rather than than uh, increased chemical usage. So the roses that are coming out of the European breeding programs and the Canadian breeding programs not only are, are bred to have flowers and be able to live in harsh climates, but they're bred to not need to have things sprayed on them. And we have two choices this year of really hardy, disease-resistant roses. We don't have many left because it's Mother's Day, you know, and they've been selling quite a bit. But they're dark red flowers, and they get about waist-high, and they flower all summer long. And they're covered with the biggest thorns I've ever seen. Yeah, they are thorny. <laughs> I don't think anybody's bred the thorns out. That's the opposite. They bred more thorns into them. Yeah. And if you're looking for a plant to have pollinators, to encourage pollinators in your yard, nothing like roses. Flowers all summer long. Rhododendrons. Pollinators love rhododendrons too. That they do, but you only get a month. That's okay. That's right. They absolutely do. And if you're looking for rhododendrons, there are some beautiful rhododendrons right now. Come to Landscape Alaska for Mother's Day and get yourself some lovely rhododendron plants. We got a few vegetables in. We have Swiss chard, really pretty young Swiss chard. We have uh, beets, cabbage, onions. Are those onions or those chives? Onions. Onions. Walla Walla sweet onions oh, and red onions. We have cauliflower. We have cabbage. I don't think we have broccoli. We don't. We couldn't get any broccoli this time. Uh-huh. And we've got some rosemary and some mint. We have some overwintered mint. Do you? In gallon cans out there. Uh. Yeah, underneath the covers that are still on our rotten deck. And the, uh, <laughs> the tree form quick fire hydrangea are coming out of the greenhouse now, out of the winter storage. The buds are big on them now. You can see how vigorous they are. We didn't bring up any snow mound spireas. That's what we need to get today. Okay. So we have a, uh, a winter storage area in Montana Creek, and Margaret's been feeding the retail yard out of the winter storage yard for about 10 days, and fruit trees and, and flowering trees and shade trees and rhododendrons and spireas and the berry bushes. The, I know, but the snowmount spireas really look cool. They look cool, and they're budded up heavily. Yep. So you know that if you look out in the yard at the established landscape you have, and then you go to any of the nurseries or the garden centers or even the sections of the box stores that sell plants. And you see them, and they're way ahead in time of the, the stuff that's coming up in your yard. So the things in your yard might be showing swelling buds, and you go to the garden center and things are in flower. You know, That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with what you have. It just means that we are behind. It's been so cold so long and it was so cold and so long this year that even the skunk cabbage are retrograde. A month late. Yeah. And they're little. And they're little, and the leaves are barely showing on it. Right. So um, 
springtime is so exciting and Mother's Day is a great holiday to kick off everybody's planting enthusiasm. And there are a lot of really pretty primroses also. And Dave, you have to get me some meananthemum. Okay. I'll get you some. I love that ground cover. As a matter of fact, I saw some the other day and somebody said, oh, I don't want that there. I'm going to tear it out. I thought, oh, I'll get that. So... Uh, I want it in the nursery pot. Yes, ma'am. I don't want to have to go out and dig somebody's <laughs> garden up because they don't want it. Okay. I I'll do be- enough of that. Thank you very much. That sounds perfect. Uh, seed potatoes. It's seed potato time, too. And the seed potatoes have been uh, just beautiful this spring. Uh, they just look lovely. We're getting them from a, a, a retired extension agent who has a business growing seed potatoes. So... so um, a lot of the labels, are those gooseberries that I sent up to? Uh, mostly currants. Are they mostly currants? Mostly currants, yeah. Okay. The gooseberries have So we thorns. don't know if they're red or black. They're most likely black. I think I sold the red ones. <laughs> well, uh, put, a, put a tag on them. They're really pretty. Can't tell now. But I mean, if they're currants, the you can say current. That's right. Okay. That's all I can tell. It's the current. The tags are all faded. You can say probably black current. Yes, probably. <laughs> Definitely current, probably black current. It's really a bummer. They don't make tags for plants that sustain themselves in the wintertime, even inside the greenhouse. They fade away. It kills me. So anyway, um, there's a lot more of those, and they look really good. Oh, and blue poppies came in yesterday. The blue poppies from the blue poppy farm in Palmer arrived. They're two years, two to three years old. They just look great. They're called Himalayan blue poppies. That's probably the most desired perennial in Southeast Alaska. Uh, you know, Alaska. everybody all around the world wants to grow it, and we have the perfect climate for it. And they seed freely, and... Uh, they establish themselves in your garden. Once you've got them, you can I trade them I planted them in Ginger's yard, you know what, almost 30 years ago. I gave her as a gift for her garden endeavor, 18. She has thousands of them now. Mm-hmm. And... Unusually, when this when the blue poppies seed, you think they would throw their seed and uh, sprout in the rich organic yard where they want to grow. They like the gravel. They like the gravel. They're a mountain scree. I mean, they grow up there on the slopes where the water's running and the snow is melting. Yep, and they're such a beautiful looking leaf, fuzzy and what a lovely green color. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're here, and they're uh, they're not going to last long. If you want some. Call me up and I'll put some aside for you or just come on up and get them. With one of those tags that fades in the sunlight. <laughs> right, probably blue poppy. <laughs> okay, and uh, the first Roseanne geraniums have arrived also. So if that's something that you're accustomed to having in your yard, you know, Roseanne is probably the most floriferous plant that we have in our perennial arsenal. It starts blooming in July and blooms until the end of October. And you don't have to do anything to it. You don't have to deadhead it. You don't have to do anything. It took all that rain and just kept on ticking last year. It was, it's amazing. Yep. And half my, I, I, I ordered 100 gallon cans and half of them are gone already. So. That's a week. Uh, uh-huh. Not even a full week. Uh-huh. Five days. Right. So uh, it gets to be about uh, 15 inch, 15 to 30 inches tall and has. Uh, a kind of a rosette leaf. It gets broad. It's broader than it is tall. Yeah, it might get three feet across. It can take the wind and the rain. And purple flowers. 
blue, a bright sky blue. Oh, bright sky blue flowers. Mm -hmm. Okay. But it gets so floriferous, you can't even see the the plant when it's in bloom. Mm -hmm. And if you want to think about the planting Margaret did around the Capitol building with those big, beautiful hydrangea bushes, there's plenty of that Roseanne growing around them, and they flower the same time the hydrangeas do. It's a nice combination. Uh For the whole autumn, right on until it freezes hard. They're all in flower together. Gardening so much fun. Oh, so much fun. And when you talk about primroses, you know, the auricula primroses are throwing their flowers up now. Every day there's more of them coming into bloom. They've got these cheery little faces on them. Auriculas are the only primrose that grow where it's, it's on limestone so that you have to add a little bit of lime. So as somebody pointed out to me the other day, it's the perfect thing to plant around your lilacs because <laughs> you're going to lime them anyway. And they, they're the very first primrose that flower here. Right. And they look like they look like something else entirely. They're fleshy. They're not uh, leaf-like. They look like, well, the common name for them is bear's ears primroses because they're crinkly and fleshy. You can squeeze them and they feel resilient to you. The ones that we have that have come up are already, the, the ones that are in the garden are coming up with flower buds on them now. The ones that we brought in from, from Canada are in bloom now and are throwing more flowers up every day. It looks really pretty, yeah. Really, really pretty. And they're fragrant. And that's what the British compete with. They have auricula competitions. And lawns. The British compete in lawns. Do they? (laughs) Well, it's hard to beat them, isn't it? That's right. And uh, if you're looking at lawns this year... Lots of moss. Lots of so much moss. And... uh, and there was so much melted snow and so wet that a lot of lawns are now just squishy masses of moss. So you have a couple of choices. You can say, okay, I'm going to have a moss lawn, I guess. That's, that's what fruits is going to bring me. And uh, relax and go with it. Or if you want to go the other way... Then Put iron sulfate out and thatch it. That's right. It's time to get started. And you use a product called Moss Out. We use the liquid Moss Out because it works so fast. It works while you're standing there you spray it on the lawn and while you're standing there the moss turns black so within a couple of days it's ready to thatch out the dry material takes longer has to rain on it or you have to irrigate it and it takes a week or 10 days before that starts to kill it but no matter what the iron sulfate in the the moss out death on the moss and it makes your lawn green what as as a side effect that's right (laughs) it certainly does and uh then when you thatch it all out you can rent a thatcher, or you can do it by hand, rake it out, and that allows you to get down to bare earth, which, at which time it's time to fertilize it and lime it and reseed it. So I'm real interested to see how other people's cherry trees and apple trees did this winter because the winter was so long. Um, if anybody has any information, please let us know because ours did okay, but were really dry for a long time because they were in the greenhouse in pots. So they're not, they're, they look like they're going to come out of it okay, but they certainly seem to be dragging their feet. You're talking about the accolades, the flowering cherries. And the Montmorency's. Montmorency's and the apples. Beautiful. They do, but they're still slow. They're slow. Uh-huh. And I think that's because they've been so dry. And the buds on them. Just it, I was looking at the, the Montmorency cherries, and they look... The buds are so big and so fat and so ready to start flowering. I know. I just want to know how other gardeners are doing, you know. 
Ours in pots are only a, a, a small indication of what things are out like out in the wild. Absolutely. And we also ha- have these uh, honeyberries, which oh, yeah. are a flowering and fruiting member of the honeysuckle. And they're tribe. big. They're big, and the berries are already forming on them. You know, and the berries on the big ones are probably. And these uh, come from Russia. So that where it's from Siberia, Siberia and northern Japan. Wow. That's where they are they wild. They kind of have an oblong berry. Odd looking, it's, isn't it? It's an unusual berry. It looks kind of like a lantern, you know, I narrow at the like, top and fat at the bottom. Uh-huh. And, or like an hourglass. There are some that are fat at the top and narrow in the middle and fat again at the bottom. I haven't seen any like that. <laughs> and they're blue. Yeah, they are. They're blue. And they ripen just before the native blueberries do here. So you're going to get a real early crop from... That's the other thing. The blueberries are just going to town. The blueberries in the wild are in full flower. And look so good, don't they? Uh-huh. And the Devil's Club are just barely able to wake up. I mean, I'm just saying the, the winter was really hard on a lot of things. It really was. Okay, so I'm going to be back at the nursery today. We should be open by 10 o'clock. And uh, if you want to come up and see me, don't hesitate. And uh, park along the side of the drive. Walk in. You'll just be amazed how beautiful it looks today. We'll close it at uh, 5 o'clock this evening. And uh, actually, I'll close at 4 o'clock this evening. It's the Mother's Day Eve. So come on up and see me. And uh, don't be surprised if there are plenty of people ahead of you. Uh, be patient. Walk around. Enjoy what it looks like. Randy made us some beautiful new display tables. And uh, if you're looking for tools and you want to have a really exciting time, go over to Tyler Rental this week. They have some absolutely fantastic battery-powered landscape tools, blowers, weed eaters, uh, chainsaws, cultivators. I've been using that little chainsaw. You like that? Yes. And you know, teaching people about how to handle these little tools, it's so exciting because you think that it's a toy, but it's not a toy at all. It's a powerful little unit with long-lasting batteries, and you can, you know, by... uh, And lightweight. And lightweight, and you can use it to sculpt shrubbery. You can use it to cut down pretty substantial-sized trees. Go to Tyler Rental. Look and see their fantastic supply of also of personal protective equipment. So whenever you use that kind of stuff in the landscape, take care of your ears, take care of your eyes, and you can pick up all that stuff at Tyler Rental. So Landscape Alaska, we'll be back on the air next week. And if you want to be on our email list for specials, send us an email to landscapealaska at gmail.com. And until next week, this is Margaret Tharp and David Lundrum, and we're wishing you all happy gardening. Happy gardening.